So there's something about, I knew a man once who would give a word of knowledge and this is going to seem, this is going to almost seem callous because we have such a sense of entitlement in our culture that we feel like we want things to be done our way so badly. And a lot of times our way as well, I know the Lord's calling me out right now on this thing. Like the person, like it takes a lot for Linda to come forward. There's so many last, last Sunday, there's so many things, right? Linda, you're like, well, you know, it could, well, you know, maybe it's not me. Maybe it's someone else, all the different things. And you start to justify and analyze and maybe the Lord's, you know, just little old me or whatever. But the Lord is looking, the Lord responds to faith. I knew a man once that if you, if he called your name out in a word of knowledge during the service, he knew that the anointing was active. The Bible talks about um, the anointing um, coming and being active, ready to move in. It's like a moment. So if the person would come up, and I believe this man was full of kindness, but he knew that there was something about the activation of faith in the moment that they would come up afterwards and say, okay, that was totally for me. And I was just too scared to come up. And he's like, I'm not going to pray for you now. I'll pray for you to experience the Lord and blessing and, and pray for your healing. But here's what you needed to understand that there was something attached to faith and obedience in that moment. So I want to give us all an opportunity to respond, not out of shame or guilt or fear of anything, but there's something about the anointing that's present to heal. There's a verse, I, I'm not finding the reference in my mind, but it talks about he was present to heal. He's ready, present now to heal. We can't, even if we feel like it's, you know, intimidation or fear, we can't allow that little twinge of rebellion. You might not consider it rebellion. You might just call it anxiousness. But that anxiousness can actually be, you were talking about adjectives earlier, right? It could just be descriptive of a deeper rebellion in our hearts. No, no, really, Lord, I just want you to heal me on my terms. I want you to do it after service when nobody, when I don't have anything on the line. I don't actually have to step out on that limb. Does this make sense? So I just want to encourage us, if, if the Lord is speaking to us, if something comes, I, I believe that he can do, and he's merciful, and I know that people have been healed in all sorts of different ways, but there's something about a moment when the Lord is speaking, we respond, okay? Amen. My name's Chuck, Charles Francis Horning III. If you don't know me, welcome to King's Church. We're so glad you're here. Um, I love you guys. Do y'all know that? I love you. I love you. I love you. I love all of you. Okay. I love being here. Um, I, I, I think last Sunday it was the same thing. Like I just get up here and I see you. It's kind of like Brian, you know, it's like, man, I just, I just love y'all so much. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even want to preach. I just want to look at you. Is that good? All right. Um, so, Hey, who got a connect card this morning? Who got like the little pamphlet? Did anybody get one of those this morning? Nobody. Nobody? Awesome. Are you guys new? I'm calling you out. Praise God. Hey, did you see in the card there were a couple like longer pieces of paper in there? Um, I just wanted to encourage not just new first-time visitors, but King's Church, like, you know, normative. What, what, Brad, what am I trying to say? That's not the best way of saying it. Family, right? Check out some of those cards. Brad, there's something really cool. I didn't even know we had those until this morning. Um, but they point us to something, a resource that we use called Right Now Media. And I just wanted to encourage you as King's Church body, family, 
first-time guests, go check that website out. There is some seriously good content on that website. It's not King's Church content. It's not a Rolodex of Brad's sermons, which are super anointed, by the way. But the point is that there's stuff in there that can help you get free. There's stuff in there that can help you mature, that can help you grow and become a, a closer disciple to Jesus. And I just wanted to encourage you, we've used that at our house with our boys. Um, there's, there's marriage material in there. There's all kinds of really neat things. And it's, it's Brad, am I wrong? It's absolutely free. It's absolutely free, and it's a really, really cool resource. There's no, they're not sponsoring King's Church. Do we get a, like a 10% kickback? We pay that? We don't even get a kickback, y'all. I don't have their like logo on my arm. You know, anyways, it's really cool. So I just want to encourage you. Can I also, as I say that, you know, I know um, I was, I was, at dinner with some friends over the weekend. And I, part of my life is I've mentioned books and I mentioned authors because they've touched my heart and they've, they've helped me mature in the Lord. I also know that most of my experience is just funny because it was really enjoyable because one of the people I was speaking with often like knew exactly who I was talking about. And it's just really cool to be able to share that, right? Like, mm, this touched my heart. Wait, it touched your heart too? That's awesome. Um, but I have also known that a lot of times in my life, when I'm sharing something with a person who I know really needs breakthrough, like they need something from Jesus. And I'm going, listen, there's something about this book. There's something about this author. There's something about this Bible verse that has really, really ministered to me. Jesus said, you will be disciples of mine. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, discipleship is part of that walking out on that branch, isn't it? He never just calls us to nothing. He calls us to something, and that something is always empowered by his grace. But it usually feels like huge and insurmountable in the moment, and it feels like, or, or, or it feels insignificant. And sometimes that could just be a friend going, hey, go read this book. Go check this author out. Go find this Bible verse and just put a little bit of faith sauce on it and expect God to do something with it. So I'm going to mention a book this morning. My experience is that probably 1% of people that I recommend a book to actually go look it up. How many of you guys think that's probably accurate? How many of you, is that your experience? It's true, right? How many of you have been like, hey, go read this verse in the Bible, and then maybe you check in later. It's like, hey, did you read it? Nope. <laughs> no shame. We're human. We have a tendency to kind of just rest on our laurels, right? That's the flesh. That's what we do in our natural man. But there's something that in God that we can capture because of his grace, and it can be something very simple. It doesn't have to be, you know, a lot of us are waiting on some kind of encounter to catch us up like Elijah in a whirlwind when the Lord is just asking you to take one step. And sometimes that step it's very simple, and oftentimes it can seem insignificant or something that you just don't really want to do. How many of us are like super avid readers? That's, oh my, okay, so you guys are an exception to the rule in 2022. I mean, that was half the room. If I said that, you know, that that's an exception to the rule, would you guys agree? That's not normative in 2022, especially in America. I'm not saying we have to like go read Gone with the Wind, you know, <laughs> a thousand page novel or, you know, read the entire Bible in a year. But there's something very small the Lord is asking from us and it can bring us breakthrough. Opening up the Psalms, 
opening up to Matthew. Like, hey, I don't know, you know, this Bible thing, it's confusing. How many of you have ever just been confused by the Bible? Don't know where to start. It's an ancient book filled with 66 books. Did, did some guy just like get zapped from outer space and then like ghost wrote the whole thing? Like, we don't know what this book is. This book is wild, but it's, it's influenced the entire world more than any other book. So, um, obviously as believers in Jesus, we recognize that this book is our authority in Christ, that Jesus is the living logos, but him through the Holy Spirit breathed this out. It, it says that it's good for edification, teaching, and correction. And that's all 66 books, okay? Um, it's just a tangent that I'm on right now, but it's just important. It's something that's so deeply impressed on my heart because I've spent a lot of time in counsel with people and I've watched and witnessed like just their hearts needing freedom from addiction, breakthrough in their marriage, just hope. And then I, hey, here. Here's a little, I, I can't do it for you. More than likely, God's not going to shoot a lightning bolt at your head and make everything better. But here's a, a, a crumb trail, one little crumb, and it'll start getting you in the right direction. So I'm going to give you guys a crumb trail. Are you ready? Who's got a pad and pen? Who brings um, pen and paper? Who types on their phone when they're at church? Guys, I want us to be a people who are ready. Listen, can I just get, tell you who I am in the Lord? When, when I was worldly, I was an addict. Raise your hand if you're an addict. I'm Chad. I'm looking for you. Where are you, brother? He's not in here right now. My man Chad will come up here and tell you his testimony, and you will, you will experience spiritual hunger. He was hungry for the things of this world. He's come up and given his testimony like a, a dozen times, so I'm not like saying anything he wouldn't say himself. Because he has like the spiritual DNA, while in the world, he would run hard after that stuff. But then he became a believer and he developed this spiritual hunger from the Lord. It's exactly who I am. I have this spiritual hunger from the Lord. I want to go deep in God. I want to learn. I want knowledge. The Bible says that knowledge is more precious than rubies. Okay. It also says that there's a knowledge that puffs up and then that there's the knowledge of God. I want the knowledge of God. I don't want the knowledge that puffs up that is absent of love. I want God's love to fill me, to connect dots for me so that his truth can set me free. Amen? So what that means is I need to be humble. I need to be teachable. So if I'm hungry for these things, second thing I got to recognize is that I don't have them. I don't know them. I'll look at my boys and we'll talk and I'll be teaching them something about baseball. Can I get, uh, Brad, can you give me my, my water right next to you? The, it's the one right there in that silver. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'll be teaching them something about baseball. And they'll look at me and they'll go, I know, I know. How many of you, that's your prayer life? It's my prayer life sometimes. I know, I know, God. I had a, um, I had a staff um, member at work the other day. They had, they showed up like, 45 minutes, 30 minutes late to work, something like that. And uh, I slept in. This is, by the way, this isn't all, this was also like a person who was just too old to, for this, you know, 45 year old person. This isn't like a teenager, high school, you know, college kid. This is a person who's like 45 years old, showing up late, <clears throat> 45 minutes to work while somebody else needs to go home so that their husband can go to work. It was like a really big deal. 
And I call him, I'm like, hey, how come you're not at work right now? Oh my gosh, I slept in. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And I go, I know you know, but it's my job to tell you. You can't do this because this person is not, now that you're not there, their husband's late to their job and he can lose his job and that can really affect their family who's already struggling. We can't have a, I know, I know, I know spirit. All right, I tell my boys, there are two, two trees in the garden, right? So when they're telling me, dad, I know, I know, right? I, I say, you don't know, actually. If you knew, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> You'd be in the major leagues or something, right? You wouldn't be hitting off of a tee with your daddy right now. <laughs> Nothing wrong with hitting off tees. But <clears throat> I call it the me, 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 I want, I want, I want tree. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the, the I know, I know tree. Don't, don't help me out. I can do this all on my own. Dad, dad, say hi to everybody. Hey dad, how many, how many people did you see? How many men did you see, um, get sober successfully with the, I know, I know spirit? Not one, right? They would come in. I got this. They go into AA, Al-Anon, whatever it is, whatever meeting. I got this. I know, I know. I don't need your help. Don't look, man. I got some breadcrumbs for you. Here's, here's this book. It's got 12 rules in it. Let's follow that. Oh man, I don't need your rules. I don't need your thing. That that's just legalism anyways. That's just going to hold me back. I know I got this. I can do this on my own. Not one. I, I can tell you not one person with that kind of attitude ever, ever finds maturity breakthrough and can move forward in life. So that's just something that's just, it's so on my heart because I've just witnessed it so many times. People who could have really just taken a little bit of counsel and um, followed. Uh, Brad and I were just talking about this the other day with discipleship. You know, there's a place when you're new in the Lord, you just need to hang on to somebody's coattails. Not because that person is, you know, um, like, I don't know, the Pope and can never be wrong. They're infallible. But it's like, no, it's because you're, you're so in such a vulnerable place, new in the Lord, that you need somebody else to come and speak wisdom into you and lead you so that like a child growing up, you can finally figure out how to do it on your own, you know? So um, it's just a real thing that's really deep on my heart. So there's a book that I want to recommend to you. So you got your pad and pen out, everybody? Write it down on your, on your phone. Go back and watch it later. All right. It's called Ministry in the Image of God. I'll wait. Ministry in the Image of God. The author is Stephen. I think it's P.H. Brad, you tell me if I'm wrong. He was a... He was a professor up at Asbury. Stephen Siemens, S-E-A-M-A-N-D-S. Stephen Siemens. The book, I think the subtitle is something like The Trinitarian Shape of Christian Ministry. It's a mouthful, but it sounds good and I like it. The Trinitarian Shape, what does that mean? I'm not going to go too deep into that. Something like, Brad, well, this is just like common kind of theological vernacular the circle of the Trinity. Have you guys ever seen like the, 
the, the triangle, like the Celtic kind of three-tiered. It's like a triangle made out of kind of like the shape of an ichthus, the fish. You guys ever seen that before? That's a symbol for the Trinity, right? So the Trinitarian, and a lot of times it's enclosed in a circle. Uh, the Trinitarian shape of Christian ministry, that God is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit, and he exists within a circle of love. Does this make sense? So God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God within himself is family. God of himself is unified and he's distinct. God the Father is unified with God the Son. God the Son is unified with God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is not the Son. God the Son is not the Holy Spirit. They're unified and they're distinct in their personalities. Does this make sense? You'd be like, yes and no. And that's the right answer. If you could understand him, you'd be him. I don't want a God that I can fully understand because that God is no God. So this book is not about cool theological slogans. This book is all about understanding. Again, it's ministry in the image of God. How many of you all called the ministry? Let me see your hands. Not enough hands, people. I'm waiting. I'll, I'll wait here till every hand in the room goes up. Okay, the Great Commission, anybody? All right. Y'all get my point. You're called to ministry. Uh, ministry is not the pulpit. Ministry is not particularly the church. Ministry is service to God, right? Um, Paul said, I am a bondservant or I'm a slave to Christ. I was a slave to sin. Now I'm a slave to righteousness. I am compelled by the gospel of Jesus. I'm compelled by the cross. So this book is called um, Ministry in the Image of God, the, the, the Circle uh, or the Shape of uh, the Trinity, this kind of idea of the Father um, being love. John 1 says God is love. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. God is love. So the Father, Son, and Spirit are a family, and they exist within a unified and distinct or a... How many of you guys know where the word university comes from? This doesn't happen very much in universities these these days. Who knows? Brad, do you know? Unity and diversity. University. The Father, Son, and Spirit live within unity and diversity simultaneously while not worrying about encroaching on the other person's identity. That's a good thing, guys. How many of you guys know in the church, we don't experience that a lot. We're, you know, especially you were talking about leadership. This is all too unfortunately true that, you know, often leadership is very worried about somebody encroaching upon our identity. You know, it's like, you know, I can't give room for freedom because if I do that, then I'm going to lose out on, you know, some of this right here, pulpit, right? I'll lose out on some of that power, some of that control that I have, Right. But that's not who God is. That's not who the Father is. The Father is not afraid of Holy Spirit coming and robbing Jesus of Jesus' identity. Jesus is not afraid of the the Holy Spirit robbing the Father of the Father's identity. They are completely unified. They're completely distinct. And they're completely in love. Let's say that again. They're completely unified. Can we do it together, Betsy? They're completely distinct. And they're completely in love. that's the gospel right there. Jesus said, I give you one commandment, love one another. I give you a new commandment, 
Do y'all see that? That gives me hope for the church. That's who he is. Colin, 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 both of you guys. <laughs> That's who we can be. All right. Man, oh man. So my message today is something about this, what I'm talking about. It's something about God, God's love, God's, who he is as this triune being who blows our minds, yet humbles himself, comes to us, calls us, and then transforms us into that same image and then compels us to walk it out and live in it. I truly believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to a unified church. In a, in a world that is full of disaster and trouble, Jesus is coming back to a bride with an undivided heart. In a world where uh, politics, political, socioeconomic disaster, whirlwinds, fire, famine, sword, in a world of confusion, Jesus is coming back. The truth will set you free. He's coming back to a church who will know who he is, know who his father is, work and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. They will be unified in love with an undivided heart. John 15. Let me read some of this to you. The context to this verse, and it's just so beautiful. Jesus is such a beautiful man. And what I love, what I've been discovering about Jesus, and I weep sometimes in prayer thinking of him this way, is that he's my rabbi. He said, the Holy Spirit, Brian, will lead you will lead you, Brian, into all truth. Somebody write that down, because that's a promise. How many of you have experienced spiritual confusion? There's a guy in the Old Testament, his name's Zerubbabel. It's a mouthful. His whole name confuses me. <clears throat> but he was, uh, he was a governor. Was the governor over is Israel? I don't know. He was a governor, and his name means coming out of confusion. Part of what he was doing was he was actually there during that time after the, uh, the exile to help rebu rebuild and reestablish the, the temple. And he was bringing Israelites out of Babylon. They were coming out of confusion. Jesus is taking us, his church, who have been stuck in a spiritual Babylon, and by the way, are going into it. Hear me, we're talking about the Lord is returning, and he's coming back in a world. In Revelation, it talks about the harlot Babylon. Are you all familiar with this in the Bible? Can I talk about the Bible today and he's coming back in a time of spiritual confusion and he's raising up a Zerubbabel church who has come out of confusion to help usher those who have been stuck in that confusion out of it with a spirit of truth but he wants that bride that church to be unified to him in love 
And what happens is when, we're, when, when we are able to surrender to that love, to his love, true love, true biblical love, not just wishy-washy, flaky emotions and anything that you want to call love is love, but the type of love that Jesus displayed on the cross, he said that nobody knows a greater love than this, than someone who lays his life down for his friends. So we know biblical love looks like a man with nailed, scarred hands, bleeding, dying on a tree for those who didn't deserve it. Taking the penalty, the wrath of God, taking it upon himself. This is true love. And here we are. If we submit to that and surrender to that, the promise is that we can come out of our spiritual confusion, come out of our wilderness, and while the world is being, being led in this like kind of uh, counterfeit procession, right? We know that Jesus is coming back on a tr with a triumphal procession. He's coming back, right, in the clouds, riding on a white horse in victory. But there's something else that simultaneously is being raised up. It's called the man of sin. Anybody aware of this? It's in the Bible. I don't care what your eschatology is, whether you think it's an actual antichrist or if it's simply the, the sin of man increasing in the earth. I think it's a little bit of both. What we're recognizing is that this is increasing. Jesus said he would pull the wheat from the tares, but you had to allow the tares to grow up together with the wheat. We're witnessing in the earth today this increase in confusion, increase in sin, increase in all these areas. And many of us in the church have seen what looks like Simultaneously, and this is also, by the way, Bible, a falling away. Someone once said, uh, I read it recently, that to fall, to fall back or to fall down is better, better than to fall away. <laughs> so many of us stumble. It's very different. Falling down is different than falling away. But we've been watching and witnessing some people falling down and some people not getting back up again and falling away. But I am convinced that before the Lord returns, he is coming back to a bride who's come out of confusion. A true church that hasn't fallen away, that is holding fast, like it says in Hebrews, holding fast to the end. And I believe, I'm convicted that this is my call, is to, to do what I can to lay my life down, to hold fast myself, but also to lay my life down on the altar of his ministry, Christ's ministry, so that we can all grow together in this maturity and this love and hold fast to the end. Amen. Amen. Betsy, Ron, how successful would your marriage be if you held fast for 50 years, but on year 70, it fell away? It's tragic to even consider. How successful would we be if we held fast and then right there at the precipice, right there at the point, fell away. Amen. He is faithful. He is faithful to bring about. He says that no word comes out of his mouth without accomplishing what he said it to do. And we see in the Bible that he is bringing, he is coming to a unified church. This is Jesus. This is what he's doing. John 15, 1 says, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. So that it may bear more fruit. I love this verse. This verse is so wonderful. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. How many of you guys have had him speak that word over you? The word of the gospel. That word that says, I know that you were broken. I know that you don't deserve this. I know that this love that I'm displaying on the cross is too high and lofty for you. But I did it just for you. Betsy, I know that you never would have measured up. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. Because of the word I have spoken, he's speaking to his disciples and he says, because of the word, you're already clean. I just want to say that over you, church, my friends. If you are a person who has put your faith in Jesus, you've turned from sin. It doesn't mean that you don't stumble. But because of the word he has already spoken over you, you're clean. And this is what he says, because of that, abide in me, right? Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. So I'm going to pause right here because this is so important. When we talk about the ministry of Jesus, the triune relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what did Jesus say? Did he say, I do everything on my own accord? He said, everything I do, I do nothing apart from the Father, I don't go, you know, spit in mud, rub it in somebody's eyes, unless the father, I see the father. I only do what I see my father doing. Okay? So there's something about Jesus right here where Jesus being fully God, yet having humbled himself and come in the, as fully man. He's telling, he's not telling us to do something he himself isn't doing. He's saying, abide in me and I in you because I abide in my father. Do you hear me? So when we talk about this, so in this book, I feel like I pulled the quote up on my phone. Let me see if I I still have it here. I'm not going to pull it up. Yeah, here it is. So Stephen Siemens in the book, he has a quote where it kind of signifies Christian ministry. And I want to read this to you. He says, this, this is quoting him, but it says a tr- the book is a thoroughly Trinitarian outlook and it provides the fuel for our ministry. Okay, say my ministry. Okay, now say his ministry. Okay. So it's a thoroughly Trinitarian outlook. It pro- provides the fu- fuel for ministry. It says, so it, the ministry is this. It's the ministry of Jesus Christ to the Father through the Holy Spirit on behalf of the church and the world. You guys think we can say that together? All right, I'll say it. You'll repeat it with me, okay? So say his ministry, okay? So of Jesus Christ to the Father through the Holy Spirit on behalf of the church and the world. John 15 in so many ways is helping us Not unhitch ourselves from the cart, but appropriately align ourselves with the cart and the horse. So many times we get the cart before the horse. The rest of the book, or another, I might be conflating books, but there's two. Basically, you have a primary calling and a secondary calling. A friend over the weekend mentioned this to me. Was reminding me, asking me, you know, what's what's the mission, Chuck? I'm like, oh, what is the mission, You know, you're like, what is the mission? And it was just, it's the first commandment. 
The mission is to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. When I get so confused, when confusion comes on me and I'm like, you know, are we doing enough? Are we reaching the poor? Are we saving the lost? Are we doing the prayer room? Are we do- what are we doing? Are we doing enough? The Lord comes back and he goes, John 15, don't get the cart before the horse. This isn't about your secondary calling, Chuck. You are successful because you're loved. You're not successful because you can gather the most fish. It's his ministry. It's not mine. It's not Brad's. It's called King's Church. It's called King's Church for a reason. God forbid the moment we pick that crown up and put it on our own heads. I am the vine, says the Lord. My father is the vine dresser. In other words, he's the one that planted the garden. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? So it can bear more fruit. How many of you guys know the prayer room's been kind of off? It's been MIA for a while. Can I be honest with you? I felt guilty about that. I felt like, Lord, what is going on? Because I don't, there's like, there wasn't a, a grace to like kick it back in gear. Like what's happening, Jesus? And it hit me like a ton of bricks as I was reading this yesterday. Chuck, anything that was bearing fruit, I prune. And it was like, he's more concerned, not even about the prayer room. I, I, I believe he's pruned it. Amen. I'm <laughs> praying that it's not cut off, you know, but I believe he's pruned it. But what hit me was like, Lord, you're more concerned with my personal discipleship that you'd prune the prayer room to get my heart closer to you. Because he's not more concerned about my secondary calling to raise up a house of prayer. He's going, Chuck, I want your heart. I want your love. I want to be close to you. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Abide in me. I want you to be in me. I want you to be in my mind. I want you to have my heart. Let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. Some of you guys think your wilderness, and some of it is. I mean, come on, like you guys know, like some of the wilderness, God called us there. But then some of it is like, gosh, the cycle of repetition in the wilderness is kind of like our fault, isn't it? But can I say, that doesn't mean that you're being cut off from the thing he's called you to do. Maybe what he's trying to do is just do some chiropractic surgery on you and get your cart directly and correctly behind the horse. The horse being God has called you to the first commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Secondarily to that, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. All right. John 15, right? Abide in me. Everybody say abide. God wants to live in people. Let me back up. When Jesus says, I'm the true vine, do you know what he's saying? 
in Isaiah and Jeremiah, even all the way back in Deuteronomy 32. In Deuteronomy 32, there's a picture of, of a wild vine or a foreign vine. God's warning Israel. He's saying, hey, if you go after, if you intermarry with people from other nations, their gods are going to become your gods. Because guess what? Like you don't have in your flesh what you need to worship me rightly. You're going to go after them. So don't be influenced by that. How many of you guys know in the New Testament, the Bible says, bad company corrupts good character, good morals. Oh, but Jesus was a friend of sinners. <laughs> how many, you know how many friends I had that would like use that verse to like go out to the club? <laughs> like, let's interpret the Bible correctly, please. <laughs> so he, he would say that because there was this wild vine, but then he would say, Israel you are my choice vine. You I planted in the garden. I planted a vineyard. I planted this, this place where, you know, again, it's this whole idea of communion and love and relationship. And I'll t let me read this from, um, from Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 5. Tell me he's not a poet. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. It's talking about Jerusalem. He dug it and he cleared it of stones. That's talking about the conquest when Israel was called, uh, you know, through the wilderness. And then in the days of Joshua, the, they kicked out the Amorites and they kicked out the Hittites and the Pezzarites and all this stuff. And all these foreign gods that were, you know, destroying human life, basically, you know, sacrificing babies, all kinds of, they cleared out the land. He's like, he dug it. He cleared the land out. He set a trail before them and he planted his choice vine. He said he built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes. But listen, but it yielded wild grapes or foreign grapes. Otherwise, they, they went after other gods. Jeremiah 2, verse 21. <clears throat> Actually, I'll, I'll start in verse 20. It says, for long ago, I broke your yoke. Talking about, you know, coming out of Egypt. For long ago, I broke your yoke and I burst your bonds. But you said, I will not serve. So they were being rebellious. You freed us, but no. I got this. I don't need you. I got it. I can do it. I know, I know. For long ago, I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, but you said, I will not serve. And then God says back, yes, on every high hill and under every green tree, basically in all the place where the, the cultic practices would happen of the foreign gods and the foreign nations, on the high places where they would go and worship idols. He says, on every high hill and under every green tree, you bowed down like a whore like a prostitute. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. I've got that verse in my Bible highlighted orange because when we look at that holy pure seed, this is a messianic prophecy in my opinion. Yet I planted you like a choice vine. If you continue reading you still, the story of Israel, did they, did they pan out as a pure vine? Even when they rebuilt the second temple, what happens is it gets destroyed too, right? Ultimately. So here's Jesus, John 15, saying something pretty controversial. If you're, if you're a second temple Jew, which they were, if you're an Israelite in the time and day of Jesus, 
and you hear Jesus, if you're a Pharisee or a teacher of the law, and you hear Jesus say, I am the true vine, blasphemy, blasphemy. Israel is the vine. Jacob is the vine. Jesus goes, no, you don't understand. Jacob went after foreign gods. It was a wild vine. I'm the pure and true vine. I was what was always being spoken of. Look to me. I am the vine, he says. My father is the vine dresser. So he's the one that does the work. Jesus is the one. He's just the vessel. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. If I unhitch myself to the first commandment, and I start trying to do the second commandment. Listen, some of, some of us don't even think like that. We're like, I'm not even doing the second commandment. I'm just going to work and doing my job. What is that, though? I'm trying to pay my mortgage. I'm trying to take care of my kids, or I'm just trying to take care of myself. I'm just trying to just not die in life, keep my head above water. You're still in this place where secondarily to the right thing, to the good part, you're choosing this secondary part. And that secondary part, Jesus says that seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you or established. So when we rightly align ourselves to God in worship, to God as the God of our life, and we humble ourselves to that, then we are end up in verse 4 where we can abide in him. And we bear fruit. But otherwise, we're not bearing fruit. We're banging our head against the wall. Anybody relate to that? Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, and, and, and I abide in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do almost anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing of substance. You can do nothing of worth. You may make all the money in the world. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Oprah Winfrey, LeBron James. You can have all the acclaim and the limelight. I love, God loves those people. But how much substance, true spiritual substance, I don't know. I hope they know this. Because if they don't have their cart before their horse, I don't care how many uh, NBA trophies you have. I don't care how many rings you have. You can be the goat all day long. Greatest of all time, doesn't matter. There's only one goat. His name's Jesus Christ. And actually he was the lamb. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> Whoever abides in me and I am, and he it is that bears much fruit. Say fruit. fruit. All right. I'm going to wrap this up. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, next part, ask whatever you wish. Somebody say whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified. Here's the, here's, this is the, uh, the if then. You guys pay attention to the if thens of the Bible, okay? He says, if you do this, then this happens. So a lot of times there's conditional statements. Here's your conditional clause, all right? Ask whatever you wish and it will be, um, it'll be done for you. As it glorifies my father, verse nine. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. So what? Abide in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, so how do we do that? Okay, here's the key. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have 
Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. So you ready? He's, he's telling us what it is, guys. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father and have made known to you, he's made it known to you. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should bear fruit and that that fruit should remain or abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Worship team, come on up. Do we have time for that? Worship team, come on up. Let's pray. He wants to pull us into the circle of his love. He wants to see us abiding in the first commandment, abiding in his love. And he wants to see us bearing fruit. Not fruit that gets me a bigger house necessarily or makes me popular with girls. I only got one girl now that I care about. I got two, Betsy. Three if you count my mom. Praise God. So here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to pray this morning because I believe there's some of us that have felt just spiritually stuck. And we kind of need, if you forgive the metaphor, we sort of need like a spiritual enema. And I want to call you forward to just receive some, some breakthrough. You've been a little compacted and we need the Lord to flush you out. Come on. Because it's just a little bit, <laughs> it's a little bit hard. Life's tough. And if you don't laugh, you cry. And I, I feel like some of us, you need to know that it really it is an attack on your life. But we also have to take our responsibility and repent and turn back to this. So sometimes we think, I need to turn back from stopping doing the bad thing that I'm doing. When the Lord is really saying, turn back, return to me. Make me your first love again. And if you do that, seek first the kingdom. That's him. Everything else will be established. Your calling, your purpose, your secondary purpose, your sense of mission, your sense of value, your perceptions of yourself, of your spouse, of your family. He wants to restore this stuff, but he does it in a very simple way. And that's by us simply returning to him in love. Amen. So if that's you, I just want to ask you to come forward. (laughs) Jamie's prophesying. He stands at the door and knocks. So if that's you, can we all stand? Um, I would like I would like you to come forward because I, I, I know that's been me in, in the recent years too. So we can all pray over one another. But if that's you, can you come forward and um, we'll pray. I'll pray with you. And we'll just, uh, we'll just say a prayer to the Lord. Set our hearts right. Amen. All right, let me say a prayer and dismiss us. Father, we love you. Jesus, we're just thankful that... You are the true vine. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through you. 
Jesus, I just ask you to rightly align us, to help seriously flush out the things that have given us spiritual blockage where it just feels stuck, we feel confused, we feel like we aren't moving forward and we don't know why. I thank you that some of that, God, is because you love us, so you prune us. Thank you for showing us that if we want to bear fruit, you prune us so we can bear some more. They can pull us deeper into your heart and conform us further into your image. We just bless your name this morning, Jesus. Finish the work you started in us. Amen.